welcome to Young Blondes Bourbon. I'm Caitlin Files, your host. Um, this is the first episode of Young Blondes Bourbon, so I'm going to introduce myself. I am a 32-year-old blonde female lawyer, and I own my law firm, and I live out in Bucks County. And I have here with me Tim Witherspoon Jr., who I'm going to call a co-founder of the show because without his persistent motivation, I would not be here starting this podcast. So Tim Witherspoon, we're going to get into everything about him today. But Tim, thanks for pushing me to do this. And he is the host of Young Black Suburban, which is our brother podcast, maybe. I guess you can say that. Cool. I like it. It was something that I came up with, um, like post pandemic almost, just uh, studying podcasts. Um, and we've been doing pretty well. We're about 16, 17, 18 episodes, technically. Yeah, uh, count it. Count today. this. We'll count this episode. Uh, and now, and um, part of it, this whole process, you know, I'm thinking of. Uh, other ways to incorporate other people and the light bulb went off and Young Blonde Suburban popped in my head Mm -hmm. and I pitched it to you and here we are. You're going to act like it was that easy when you pitched it to me. It wasn't that easy at all, but we're here. We are here and we met basically a couple weeks before I was on your podcast and that's where you came up with the idea of Young Blonde Suburban, yeah. and you really had to talk me into it. Yeah. You know, um, I have to talk a lot of people into a lot of things, <laughs> but um, yeah, it wasn't easy. You weren't too uh, sure on the name, uh, on mm-hmm. the premise. Yeah, uh, I had to really say, hey, Kate, sit down. Uh, <laughs> it, just trust me on this one. That yep, young true. blonde suburban has to be a thing um, because there's a lot of people out there that uh, stereotype people. Um, there's a lot of people out there that will simply uh, not listen to certain people, not only because of the color of their skin, um, but because of their gender or from where they're from. Um, and people on the other side of the camera need to see that more, more or less people are the same and people fight for the same causes and people, uh, you know, care about people the same way. And, and knowing you for a little while now, I know that our, you know, ideologically we align yeah. on that. So I'm like, yo, we're both business owners. We both want to get out there. Uh, let's, let's do this. So my torch was lit. <laughs> you gave me the flame. <laughs> and and uh, Young Blonde was born. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so that's going to kind of be the podcast is going to be having diverse guests on here to talk about their different experiences, their different perspectives, and talk about all the things, especially the hard things that people in the suburbs don't really talk about. So thanks, Tim. Yeah. Thanks for getting us here. Welcome. <laughs> all right. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of the intro. So why don't we do a little cheers and then we'll talk about Tim Witherspoon Jr. It's going to be weird being on this side of things for once. Um, Even though I've been interviewed a lot, I haven't been interviewed on a Young Suburban (laughs) podcast before. I've always been in the driver's seat. Well, now Young Blonde is going to interview Young Black. So here we go. You ready? Yeah. All right. We're going to start off nice and easy. Okay. All right. So you're from around here? Yeah. Bucks County? Yep. Where? <laughs> from Fairless Hills, Pennsylvania. Uh, grew up pretty much throwing distance of Sesame Place. Okay. Um, I could walk there if I wanted to. Um, Did you go there a lot? Yeah. I was more of a sports land person. You're probably too young for sports land. I think I do remember Sportsland. I'm only four years younger than you are. Um, Sportsland was like this place. And if you're from Bucks County, you're around my age, you remember it. You know, it was a staple. Uh, It was an arcade, skating rink, bumper car place, bad cages. 
Uh, I used to go there like every weekend. I've definitely um, been to Sportsland. Yeah, I know it's older where brother. Uh, the Oxford Valley LA Fitness is now. All right, yeah, um, I definitely went there. But I grew up there. Uh, Where'd you go to school? I went to Pensbury School District my whole school career, as long as that lasted. Went <laughs> 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 to Oxford Valley Elementary School uh, from K through fifth. Uh, I went to William Penn and Charles Bain and eventually the high school and you said as long as it lasted you left ninth yeah, grade right no, Ten? Um, so i left school in 11th grade why uh, <laughs> 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 um so i was like i was a good student in school you know when i was there uh but as soon as school was over my main priority was going to the boxing gym uh Supported by uh, my family who <laughs> allowed that to happen as well. So when I got into my 11th year of school, um, I was a little bit older than everyone else. And also my credits weren't uh, where they should be for me to be able to walk with everybody else in 12th grade. I would have had to do a lot of work and still go to school after I walked in 12th grade to actually get my diploma. So I knew uh, in ninth grade years earlier that I was going to try to become a professional fighter. That was my goal. So ninth uh, grade was the last year that I participated in school sports. Uh, I In ninth grade, I played football, basketball, and was the only ninth grader on the varsity volleyball team. Uh, and I decided to stop it all and just focus on boxing. Uh, so when 11th grade came around and I sat down with my guidance counselor um, and she went through all of the hard work that I would have to do, I decided to sign myself out of school and uh, go to boxing camp. And you said in ninth grade is when you knew you were going to be a professional boxer? Yeah. When did you start boxing? Uh, so I had my first fight in third grade. Third grade? You had yeah. your first fight? That yeah. seems so little. Yeah, I was uh, eight years old. Oh, my gosh. Um, and I remember it like it was yesterday. Why? <laughs> it was in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, which is like four hours away from here. I remember being in boxing camp back then uh, when my dad was fighting. And it was like the first time I started really sparring and, and, and doing that. And I remember the process of it being something really serious, but me, I'm just there just on autopilot, just doing it. I, and so the fight comes up and they, they bring two possible opponents for me. This is how amateur boxing works. Everyone's in one room and you're trying to figure out who's going to fight who or whatever. And this is a lesson learned because I picked the smaller guy thinking that that was going to be the easier fight. The smaller guy had 20 fights already. <laughs> so I got my butt kicked <laughs> during the fight. Uh, but I went back to fight him two more times directly after that. And I finally beat him the third time. Uh, and that taught me that, you know, if you keep going, that eventually, you know, you, you can be a winner. Right. Right. Why did you get into boxing? Was it primarily because your dad? Uh, I like to, <laughs> I like, obviously he introduced me to the sport, my whole family. Um, there's like five professional fighters in it, uh, including me. Um, but I feel like it's just, it's like my heartbeat, you know? Um, it's just a part of me. Even if my father wasn't who he was, that I, I would still be, uh, a fighter and actually in my job now I feel like when I'm training other people I'm giving them my heartbeat um, and giving them a piece of me uh, because it, it truly is uh, it, it is who I am and you boxed from eight years old to 30 right yeah all right so you had about 22 years under your belt of boxing yeah. did you keep that feeling with you the whole time no <laughs> <laughs> when did it fade when did it stop um you know, really early on in my professional career, I realized that it wasn't going to be uh, the glitz and glamour that I thought it was going to be before uh, I turned pro. 
uh, I felt that, you know, the red carpet was going to be rolled out for me. Uh, I was going to be fighting in these big shows and, and, Really early on, I realized, oh fuck, <laughs> this <laughs> this is this is uh, it's not going to be a, a cakewalk. Um, I could have done a lot of things that made it easier, um, but I didn't. So there were a lot of times uh, it was a roller coaster, I guess you yeah. could say. Um, I enjoyed it. I, I would never change anything uh, in my life. Being able to uh, be introduced to so many different people and so many different ways of life, boxing has given me uh, perspective and has made me the person I am today. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't realize that there's people in other parts of the world that are doing the same things that we do here. Um, there's other people in other parts of the world that are upset about things that we're upset with. Um, so boxing really uh really helped me in that way and gave me a good perspective on life even if i wasn't always satisfied with the business part and you traveled a lot for boxing yeah where did you travel to with different countries i know you uh, went to england yeah i mean england primarily like is pretty much where like a second home where i used to basically live uh i've been all around there i mean i've been to ireland um Spain and Amsterdam and I fought here and you know other places is boxing huge in England it's the second sport yeah behind oh, really? uh, football which is soccer um <laughs> but <laughs> nice. the the second sport is boxing and they go crazy um my first fight over there um it was, a, it was a crazy experience at Don Valley Stadium where they're all, well, I'm, I'm, I'm an American. I'm fighting someone in his hometown in another country. Um, so I'm in the dress room and I can hear them already chanting. You know, like, you know, like at soccer games yeah. or I don't know what it, I, at first I didn't know what it was. All I heard was, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever they do. Um, so I fight the guy I win the fight, and the people that I, they might have been family members of his or something, they try to rush the barricade, uh, and they try to pick a fight on uh, with me. And me, I'm on such a high, uh, I'm like, yeah, what's up, what's going on? <laughs> um, and then uh, Not quite. <laughs> my dad and my corner rush me back to the dressing room because it could have got bad. Um, and then... I made some friends uh, that were English uh, there, and they were telling me, Tim, did you hear what they were chanting? And I was like, nah, what were they chanting? And they were saying, oh, they were screaming, American cunt, American cunt. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> I, but Damn. I didn't, you know, <laughs> so when you first go to England, too, like, the accent is not easy to pick up in person. Mm -hmm. It takes you a little while. Um, there was people that were talking to me just like this. I'm like, huh? Yeah. Huh? And then eventually it starts, you know, uh, registering better. Mm -hmm. uh, but when they were chanting, I didn't. You had no idea. The only person I could hear is my dad. He's the only American. You <laughs> <And, laughs> chained everyone else out with an accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but other than that, um, that is the only other country I fought in. Um, I did fight on an island called Jersey. The island is, was called Jersey? Yeah. It's off the coast of France. Right. I don't know if that's an English territory or a French territory, uh, but I was there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, traveling for anybody, I suggest all the young suburbans, if they can, to travel to other uh, places so they can experience other people. And, you know, yeah. not just the the terrain, the statues, you know, really live amongst the people so you can get an appreciation for different walks of life. I agree. That's, I whenever I hear someone who's thinking about going away to college or traveling, I always say, go somewhere not here yeah. because you have to break the bubble of where you're from 
to go see how other people live and to gain some empathy on other people's perspectives. You know, um, where my girlfriend's from, there's not really many people that look like me, you know, Um, and I see... Where's she from? She's from a place called Marengo, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, There's not many people that look like me, so I see closed-mindedness like right in yeah. front of me and it's only because their exposure is limited right. um that's and and closed-mindedness i mean really there's no excuse now with the internet and all that but, that's what i say yeah. if you have that information that to be your fingers at this point exactly. there's no excuse oh, but you know there are people that need to experience other people i agree i agree entirely was traveling your favorite thing about boxing no. <laughs> what was your favorite thing about boxing? Um, really, I really looked at it as a privilege. You know, it's so intoxicating to be the person that everybody wishes that they were. Um, I it sounds narcissistic, I guess, but I really enjoyed all being egos. the center of attention uh, when it came to fight night, uh, being in the dressing room, uh, winning the fight. And everyone being happy. But that comes with a lot of bad stuff, too. You know, a lot of people that just want to be around you just to be around you. Um, And like I said, it's intoxicating. So if you would have met me back when I was a fighter, you probably wouldn't have. We wouldn't be friends. No, we wouldn't be (laughs) friends. Because to be a fighter, you got to believe that you can be everyone. You know, you got to believe that you're the best uh, in the world, you know. So it comes off cocky and and I look back at it now and I'm like, God damn, (laughs) (laughs) you see some of those old Facebook posts and I'm like, Oh, I was that guy. So we have Um, to go look at your old Facebook to see what you're like. (laughs) Leave that in the past. (laughs) That's pretty unique about boxing though. It's something you don't think of. Like I played team sports growing up. I never was doing something on my own, but when you go on that ring, it's just you and you, you almost have to have that ego and that confidence to succeed Um, everything it doesn't matter if your trainer does something wrong or whatever it's all on your shoulders um and things happen inside the ring in a split second so if you don't do everything before you get to the fight um properly and you mess up uh you have nobody to blame but yourself um obviously you can always get a you know a lucky punch in or whatever but it's all about you preparing properly no matter what anybody else does and you executing properly no matter what your opponent does um which is high stress yeah a lot of pressure um, a lot of pressure but boxers you develop it over the years on how to handle it the hardest uh part for me was being in the dressing room hearing the other fights go on people getting knocked out and i'm like oh god why did i fucking pick this for a job you know um but then you know you walk out and everybody's admiring you uh they want to be you you know you got friends that you know wish that they could make it to that level um and then the bell rings and and everything that you practice kicks in and somehow you know you make it out do you have like a favorite moment or memory of boxing? Uh, favorite fight? I think for me, yeah, my favorite moment uh, is probably being a professional fighter on a professional sports network like ESPN. Uh, I, I remember getting a call and uh, it was, I was in Chicago uh, a lot of people don't know this. They've seen the fight, but they don't know that I was on vacation three weeks before for a whole week on New Year's Eve <laughs> in Chicago. As soon as I got back to Philly, I got the call. Um, so I only had three weeks to prepare. Um, but I remember like just like tearing up like, God damn, dude. I finally like this shit paying off. Um and then just having so much confidence after that, like, oh, we're going to go and do it. And When was that? This was, I was 30, so six years ago. Um, and it's a fight that I lost. But 
the fact of me going on ESPN three weeks notice, Super Bowl weekend, um, Super Bowl fight special show, my first eight rounder uh, fight against a 19 year old kid who's never lost. And I look good um, doing it. I might have lost, but I got so many people that were on my side after that fight. Um, so many people from all around the world messaging me. Actually, it's crazy. I guess it was because the Super Bowl just passed. So memories were coming up <laughs> and I memories were coming up of people from the UK saying, wow, Tim, I just watched your fight over here. You did such a good job. You know, keep going. Yeah. Um, so just getting the validation of people knowing that, OK, yeah, I'm Tim Witherspoon's son. But now you finally, the world saw me and they know that I could do it too. Yeah. Uh, that was a really good moment. That's uh, pretty cool. For me. Yeah, yeah. Now you said that was when you were 30 though. Yeah. Isn't that also when you stopped boxing? Yeah, 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 yeah. same time. <laughs> so what yeah. made you stop boxing? So I had one more fight after that and I was running a, like a week before the fight and um, my knee just popped. And you know, you hear, people say that they hear uh, a pop and that was the first, I've been an athlete my whole life. That's the first time I actually heard a pop. Um, so I had to walk home like a mile, <laughs> um, limping. And like, I'm not, not to blame anybody or anything like that, but um, my, my coaches, they've seen me go through worse. You know, I've dislocated my arm in the middle of a fight, put it back in and go on to kill the guy. So... They're like, you know, Tim, we'll get, you know, we'll get the weight down. You'll sit in the sauna. Uh, I was just hitting the pads and I couldn't even move, you know, that my knee was that bad. I went on the fight and I lost the decision. And I'm like, yo, I need surgery, you know. Um, I can't uh, walk. The night before the fight, I couldn't get up the stairs to my hotel room. Uh, and you still fought the next yeah, day? Yeah, I still fought the next day. <laughs> My God. Um, and, you know, that along with, you know, having four children uh, and needing to provide for them, knowing that, again, something in my life was going to be uh, a real, I had to come to a realization that this is going to be hard. I'm 30 years old, um, two losses now in a row, even though they both were, up in the air, uh, it's two losses in a row. Uh, and now also on top of that, I'm teaching other people how to fight. Um, so on one hand, I'm here injured, no health insurance. Because uh, boxers... God bless America. <laughs> boxers don't have pensions. We don't have a union. There's nothing for mm -hmm. us. It's the Wild Wild West. So if you're not making enough money to be able to afford your health insurance every month, Right. then you're not going to have it. And that was when Obamacare just got implemented. So mm -hmm. I don't even know if I was eligible yet. Um, so what a, that all happened. <laughs> <laughs> I decided to make, I'm not going to say how much, but I was making nice money teaching people. And it was going to be a struggle to continue fighting. Okay. So I decided that this hourly rate for my children was more important than uh, chasing my dream still. So that's what I was going to ask you. Your transition, what was essentially the plan post-career? You know, what, yeah. what did you have um, in mind? Lucky uh, that I had some people in my life when I got injured and actually when I dislocated my arm. Uh, I was out of boxing for about a year. When was that? Oh, gosh. You don't have to give an exact date. <laughs> uh, I don't need to know the exact um, date you dislocated your arm. <laughs> I would say 2011, 12, something around there. Um, I dislocated my arm and I had to get my labrum repaired. So I was in. Um, slang for about four weeks and then I had rehab after that um, but in the meantime I got certified to be a personal trainer uh, 
before I could start exercising. So I went and passed the test or whatever. So And then uh, I got a job in the gym. Uh, the gym wasn't really, uh, it, it, it wasn't the best gym. But and this is it, while you were still being a pro boxer. Yeah, okay. it overlapped. Okay. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I got Why wasn't it the best? Well, so, I mean, that, that, that goes into uh, kind of what I do now with my business, where the, the business wasn't really uh, run the way that it could have been. I'm trying to say that as nicely, <laughs> as nicely we'll as transition. We'll transition. We'll transition. <laughs> well, we're here now in Witherspoon Boxing, yeah, so we're getting yeah, to that. Yeah. You have your own boxing gym now, yeah, and it's super cool because you have a ring in here, so people can actually get yeah. in the ring and spar. But before that, though. Was yeah, was a, that always the plan? Nah, that wasn't. Well, I always knew that I wanted the gym, but it wasn't that easy. Like, I didn't have money for health insurance. You know? <laughs> yeah, no. So how do I get from not having money for health insurance to here? Yeah. Um, there was a lot of stuff that happened in between. Um, my first clients, I trained for free uh, just so I could get some training in and and uh, work my way up to being good enough to actually get paying customers. So the first two, I asked them if I could train them. <laughs> for free um and one of those people was the person that um directed me and actually paid for me to get certified to be a personal trainer that's awesome it's a good support to have yeah and then uh you know one client turned into another then it turned into going to people's houses training them in parks going up to doylestown training people (laughs) people putting gyms in their houses for me to come there and train them and it made me realize that if all these people are liking what I'm doing then I can actually you know go all out and and do it myself so that was like that was about like three years of just like hustling around yeah, training so people. I retired at 30 uh opened this place at 33 Gotcha. It's <laughs> yeah. cool. I'm wearing Grundy Commons, yeah, Grundy which is cool. Commons. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, I'm from Fairless Hills. Uh, we weren't allowed to come over this end <laughs> when I was growing up. Um, but things have changed dramatically since then, I guess. Or maybe it's just a stereotype. I don't know. Maybe That's what we're trying to break down here today. Yeah. You're building them up right no, now. I'm <laughs> building them up. Uh, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't a great area. Um, yeah, it is. But, yeah, we're in Bristol Borough where um, it was voted the best little town maybe about three years ago or four it's years ago. It's an awesome ago. spot. It's great. Yeah. I um, want to be here so badly with my law firm, but yeah. I got to give it time. I got to give it time yeah. to get to where Tim Witherspoon is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk still about that three-year period though. Yeah. Because I feel like there's, you know, a lot of pro athletes who don't really think about what happens after. Yeah they're done. And a lot of kids grow up wanting to be a pro athlete. I mean, think about even someone like Alan Iverson. I mean, he struggled seriously for years and he's Alan Iverson. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, well, my father. Well, yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it happens to so many people unless you're like Michael Jordan yeah. or LeBron James. Like if people don't have, you know, a use for you, they're the leagues and the teams don't really seem to take care of their retired yeah. people. Um, for me, I feel like even though things were hard at some time, sometimes I never lost my personality. Um, I never lost, I never let my clients know, you know, that I was going through a hard time or I never let, you know, a boss know whatever. I always showed up happy um, and ready to work. Um, so I, it's like the galaxy kind of looked out for me in a way. Like all these things that I'm talking about, traveling, finding out, you know, that everyone's the same and, you know, being a young black suburban and all my family members living in the city and me being the only one out here, all these little teachings have allowed me to see these different perspectives and get help from people because they like me. Yeah. Um, they um, trust me. They believe in me. Uh, and 
when it comes down to it, someone believed in me so much that they helped me get this gym. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So between retiring with an injured knee and to now, um, <laughs> a lot has happened. Yeah. What was your initial vision when you opened the gym? What did you want it to be? So I knew, because I, I mean, I grew up in gyms my whole life, so I knew the traditional boxing gym was not going to be lucrative because uh, boxers don't make money. <laughs> so I knew that, you know, I would have to include a lot of women. Uh, no, it's my, really, boxing is really popular with women. Into my business model. So when you come to the gym, I try to keep it as women friendly. It smells good when you walk in. I don't yeah. know what air freshener you're using. Um, but. Well, the the podcast with the New Jersey weed, man, didn't it? <laughs> that, well, no, that, that smells like rough, you hotboxed the but, gym. Um, <laughs> uh, it smells good now. Yeah, you know, I try to, um, you know, cater to the public. And I think that the biggest part of our, our mission and our success is that we let people enjoy boxing in any capacity that they want to so if you want to come here and you do want to compete and you do want to be uh, a champion we will try our best to get you there but if you want to come in here and just learn and never get hit this is the place for you um i i, I grew up there was no gyms for me here i had to learn my craft in the city uh where People lose their careers in the boxing gyms. You know, they're, it's so hard <laughs> down there that you have to want to fight to to be in the gym down there. Um, I knew that Bristol Barrow could not <laughs> um, be that way, and, and it's really it, it's it, it's com community driven in that way. You know, if we open up to everybody, then you know, we open up to everybody basically. Yeah. Um, and in return, I guess that that's the basic mission here is that all inclusive. And if you help us out, we'll help you guys out or vice versa. We'll help you guys out and then you, you help us. And you're not just Witherspoon Boxing. You It's Witherspoon Fitness and boxing is part of it. No, it's Witherspoon Boxing and Fitness is part of it. <laughs> so what boxing. else do you get? Tell us what you do at the yeah, gym. Yeah. Everything that so, happens here. So basically, we're a striking gym when it comes to combat sports. Um, so MMA is a big thing. Uh, and in MMA, you need multiple disciplines. You need uh, boxing, kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, wrestling. Uh, that's pretty much the four major ones. Mm -hmm. um, we do the striking part which is boxing and Muay Thai, which is kickboxing. Uh, we don't do wrestling or jujitsu, but we also offer boxing just for exercise. So if you come to our gym, we have uh, multiple cardio classes where it's just, you know, aerobic style boxing, you're hitting the heavy bags. It's the stuff um, that I've done. Like yeah, the big gyms in Center yeah. City, Philly is all and that cardio And I'll be honest, boxing. it's not my favorite. <laughs> um, I enjoy... What I truly enjoy in my gym is watching the person that comes off the street and says that they never have done this before, um, that they really don't want to do it or whatever, <laughs> and, and see them get, getting good. I have uh, a couple that I've been training for years before I even opened this gym, and the husband was trying for like a year to get her to come to the gym like begging like tim what can i do how can i so she finally gets to the gym and she wasn't good at first you know but she got addicted and pulled in now she is my favorite student and if i need someone to demonstrate a move i know i can depend on her uh to That's do awesome. that um and she was someone that was kind of fighting the boxing you know it wasn't for her now uh, I enjoy watching her progress. You know, I feel so. like that's got to do with you too. I mean, you don't keep coming somewhere unless you like the person that you're working yeah, well, with. And, and, yeah. And that goes back to why I really um, fought to open my place. Um, 
I was at a couple of places where I didn't really agree with uh, how the leaders treated some people. Um, and I thought, you know, I'm going to be the gym where um, no one has to feel like they don't want to come up the stairs and come in. You know, why would you want to go to a place where you feel uh, like it's a drag to go to, you know? Right. Um, so I tried my hardest, again, to not let my clients know <laughs> what I'm going through and have a good time um, every time we're here. What I like about your gym and like what you see on social media is that you seem to have a lot of diverse people come here. Yeah. Like if you walk into, um, you know, like a flywheel or a soul cycle in Center City, you're going to see almost everyone who looks the exact yeah. same. It's very like culty. Yeah. But what I like about Witherspoon Boxing is that you seem like you have a lot of different yeah. people who come here. Definitely. And I, I noticed that, you know, um, when I sit back and I look at, <laughs> you know, this guy with these face tattoos talking to this uh, guy that walk, walk, well, works on Wall Street, <laughs> like their best friends are, you know, I have a lot of people in NA that um, have become friends with a lot of people in here. It makes me happy. Yeah. Um, there are certain groups that uh, I would like to see more of in my uh, gym, uh, and I'm actively trying to make that happen. Which um, groups, if you so, feel comfortable saying? Um, you know, I do have some friends in my gym that um, are from the LBGTQ uh, community, but um, not enough. And that's a group that I would like to tap into um, because obviously uh, it's good for your, your health, your mental mm -hmm. health, uh, self-defense. Yeah. Um, and most importantly, uh, community. Uh, I have, like I said, some friends here that are that way, and they're some of the best people, um, and we just need for people to see more of that. So, And I think part of the problem is that in Bucks County, that's just, you know, you don't really hear about groups like that. I sent you that thing about the Pride Parade, and right. Newtown is having it for the first time ever. They're actually still petitioning to get it for the first time ever yeah. this year. So I feel like it's kind of, you know, Bucks County is really slow to that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I, I guess that's the issue. But, you know, if you let people know that they're welcome, then hopefully they'll come. Um, and I think and you can tell that welcome. on your yeah. social media. I mean, that's how I found you guys and decided I wanted to partner my firm with Witherspoon Boxing. And again... Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We've only been friends a couple months, too. So I feel like that's just but, like... So th let's talk about that. Like, we're in... I'm a businessman. You're a businesswoman. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard out here to find like-minded people, yeah. you know, to go and achieve goals with. Um, I've tried it with certain people. Uh, you've tried it with certain people and it just doesn't work out sometimes. Um, it just so happens that you happen to be a young black suburban <laughs> and me a young black suburban, but I think that that is what makes this whole thing so great, that you can be from a different world, I can be from a different world, and we can still be saving lives, man. Yeah. And, and doing that. Um, it's cool. I mean, we grew up, what do you think, like, 10 minutes, 15 yeah. minutes away from each other, but probably had very different lives growing up. And then the rest of the 30 years, very yeah. different. So, you told him I dropped out. <laughs> oh, and you... I was in school for 21 years. Yeah, like, exactly. Your boxing so. career, I was in school the whole time. But it is interesting that we met and just vibed on the same level of running a business and what yeah. we wanted to do with the community and just having such different backgrounds and we're very different yeah. i mean but we both want to get shit done yeah stuff done you think I, that's the worst word you said yeah, so i've been cursing the whole time i feel good on this side of the <laughs> Oh, hey, man. I was repeating what the English <laughs> were saying, okay? Wow, you didn't even blink an eye with the other words you're dropping, but yeah. shit was too far for My you. My bad, man. 
But yeah, we do want to get shit done and we've been hustling to get shit done. And it's hard in the pandemic because there's a lot going on right now and people, you know, nothing's, no events are really happening, but we got things in the work. Yeah, they're coming. Um, Do you like your, uh, can we talk about your nonprofit? I, I guess. <laughs> I guess we're dropping it now. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm, you talk about it all the time on yeah, your podcast. It's not, <laughs> no, wait a minute. Okay, so there used to be. No, not that a one. Profit. No, you've talked about that. When I was on it, you talked about it's, yours. It's, so it basically, when we talked about it, it was like a transition from the old one and thinking of ideas for a new one. All right, well, so we got your new one. Yeah. We're working now, on it. Yeah, so. We don't have to talk about the name or anything because that might still be a work in progress. Yeah. It's Wither, um, Witherspoon something. Well, <laughs> the Witherspoon Community Initiative. All right, I, I like it. That's where we're at. Um, basically, I want to do what, what I've been doing, you know, um, helping out the community. Uh, but in a broader way than, um, I have been, you know, I want to try to be able to help out kids, but also help out women and also help out the homeless. And it's a lot, but if we plan something every month, um, with my event coordinator, is that me? (laughs) I'll take that title. Um, I like that. (laughs) We can get a lot of things done and a lot of things accomplished, uh, because we're, you know, grassroots right now. Yeah. Um, even though people want me to run for office. Stop. Uh, <laughs> no. We, um, no politicians. <laughs> uh, no, but you yeah. talked to when we were hashing through ideas the other day. You brought up something that was really cool, which is giving retired fighters oh, yeah, a purpose. Um, and that goes along with me being an anomaly, like, on the podcast with my dad. It's cr- like we know so many people that have retired from boxing with nothing uh, and no degree, you know, pretty much just left, you know, on the streets. Um, so for me to retire from boxing, it was my only job, my only source of income. And I didn't like I did OK. You know, if you look at my record, it's OK. But financially, I didn't make millions of dollars or anything um, near that. But those three years from retiring to open this place is it's ridiculous. Uh, there's not many people that um, come from my field of work that have done that. So now that I've done it, it's time for me to bring those people in that might not be able to do exactly what I did, but I can help them uh, with you know, a job and also help kids that need that connection with, you know, a role model. Um, this is not the exact model <laughs> of how it's going to run, but <laughs> pretty much what I want to do is pair retired fighters with um, at-risk kids um, and kill two birds with one stone by giving the underprivileged kids a chance to be um, a part of something and give the retired fighter a chance to be a part of something. And who knows, it might blossom into other retired lawyers. Retired um, lawyers are fine. <laughs> they're, they're all right. No, they're but, I mean, okay. but, you know, giving back to kids, yeah. you know, because they have the time or teacher. Right, mentoring you know, them. Yeah. yeah. Um, one thing that, you know, we always talk about is SAT prep, mm-hmm. um, which we're going to, you know, we've been working running through that, talking with teachers, and we're going to try to run that through the Witherspoon Community Initiative. Yes. Um, should we talk about that a little bit more? You want to talk about the SAT prep? Yeah. I mean, I think it's cool because we're going to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's happening. So, you know, people, and this is not my idea by any means. You came to me uh, with the idea, and, and instantly it clicked because I'm already online with, like, food deserts and, you know, things that kids in certain areas don't have that I, even I had the privilege of having, you yeah. know. Um, and it never dawned on me, though, that SAT prep was something that is needed for uh, underprivileged kids. Yeah. And so 
pretty much what we want to do here at Witherspoon Boxing is bring in uh, tutors who are trained in SAT prep, which we both have friends that um, are in that field and some said that they're going to help uh, and, and just give these kids the opportunity to uh, do well on that test and get into college. You know, maybe if I had somebody to do that for me, um, I would have you know, finish school and went to college or something, but I didn't. So yeah, no, seriously, <laughs> it's a, uh, doing it, trying to do it for other people. Yeah. It's something that I don't remember what I was reading, but it was when I was just trying to keep educating myself on, you know, the black perspective that I obviously can't understand because I'm white, but there were some studies done about kids in the same economic low income area. But the white kids, for whatever reason, are not still had access to the SAT prep and the black kids didn't. And they were talking about how SAT prep and SATs don't actually test your intelligence. It's a test you learn how to take to score right. well to get into colleges. And it's not fair to the kids who can't afford to go because they don't learn the tricks of the SAT. Mm-hmm. So that's where the idea kind of came from. And, you know, I have an aunt who does SAT prep and she has her PhD in English. And, you know, it's someone like that who is so qualified that these kids have, should have the best tutor. Why not? It's not fair. So to give access, and I think we're going to try to focus on Bristol and Bristol high and kids who want to go to college and not every kid wants to go to college. We've talked about offering mentorships to kids who want to go to tech school and contractors and get union jobs. So it's going to be a big project and it's going to be awesome. But It's going to be very uh, rewarding. Um, I mean, imagine the first kid that goes through our program that gets in. No, I'm going to cry. It's going to be a mess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but, you know, that's that's what life's about. Yeah. You know, me and you are both in our 30s, uh, and we're pretty much solid in what we're going to do in our life. There's so many kids um, that don't have any direction, don't have any, uh, you know, parents at home that, yeah. that just need just somebody to look out for them and seeing us do it i mean you're a black guy i'm a girl we said that (laughs) but like (laughs) it's rare to have a law firm that's run by a girl there it's very rare and you know like you said how many black business owners are there around here it keeps popping up and then going back down you got about six or seven but it's important for kids to see that they can do things like that i didn't think i could ever do anything like that growing up because i just had guys who came and talk on career day but right that reminds me of that picture i don't know if i sent it to you but i told you the other day i saw a picture of muhammad ali um teaching a young black boy how to punch it reminded me of you because i don't think you've seen the picture before (laughs) but it reminded me of you because in your office you have pictures of muhammad ali every day why do you love him so much um (laughs) <laughs> I think love would be a strong All right. Word. Why um, do you have I, pictures of him all over your office? So he's, first of all, one of the fo- most photographed people in history. So you, you're probably going to see his picture somewhere <laughs> in a boxing gym. Um, but he, he plays a big part of my family. You know, my dad was a sparring partner. Um, I have pictures of me with him when I was a baby. And also, like, we just are kind of similar. He politically um, was against the Vietnam War. Um, I think it was the Vietnam War, yeah. Um, And me, I politically am against my war, which was Iraq War, the Mm -hmm. Iraq War. And I kind of see a little bit of myself in him as, you know, someone who is not afraid to stick up for what they believe in, um, no matter what. Uh, Even though I didn't uh, get stripped of my world titles and lose income and treated badly, um, I can feel his pain. Um, I look at the picture of me and him. and I told this to uh, Simon Carr, and it's not a picture of Muhammad Ali and me anymore. Um, it's a picture of someone who went through, um, you know, winning 
the Olympic medal for our country, then coming home and couldn't sit at the same table as white people. And the reason why it hits home so much is because I have a picture with someone who went through that. Yeah. People think that that was years ago. No, I have a picture with someone who couldn't sit at the same table as white people. My grandma is older than him. (laughs) It's just just crazy because, like, you're right. It seems so long ago. It seems so long ago. And it's not. But people are still alive today that couldn't sit at the same table as white people. And it's it does seem like something you're taught in history books that it's like, this is gone. This is over with. And especially I feel like I grew up being taught that out here in Bucks County. Like, it's like, Oh look, this is when slavery happened and now everything's okay. And everything's great. And then you go out and experience the world and you're like, that's not true. Well, that's (laughs) the greatest scam. (laughs) Oh, but our history um, books books are the greatest scam. And actually, uh, the greatest reasons for racism, um, in the history books, they don't teach people like me that we used to, um, be, you know, mathematicians, um, that we used to, um, navigate and we used to, um, you know, be engineers. Scientists. Catherine Johnson just got named after that NASA thing that landed on Mars. They teach us that we're slaves. Yeah. That's when our history starts. Um, and that is the American history books. Um, obviously, my ancestors were something before uh, America was co- uh, colonized. So, you know, uh, as a young black man, how can you feel like you have self-worth if the only thing that you're taught is that you were a slave or that you were subject to segregation and you're still fighting your way out of that. Um, Instead of teaching us, you know, things that we discovered or, you know, and then it's a shame I'm sitting here talking to you right now and I can't just, (laughs) but I know that they're out there. I know that a black man helped with the automobile. I know that he really invented the Jack Daniels liquor and his recipe was stolen, you know. I know these things, but they're not really prevalent. I had to search for them as an adult. You know, it's funny you're saying this because the other day I got into a bit of an argument with my dad because he has an employee who's from Trinidad and they were talking about something and the employee didn't know that the, that Indian people had been, you know, some of the original people to come over to Trinidad. And he was saying, he was like, he doesn't even know his own history. And I pointed out, I was like, I bet a lot of black boys don't know a lot of their own history because there's nothing teaching Not them. Black boys. Well, I meant black African people. Americans, period. Well, yeah, um, because it's not what we're taught. Not only is it not what you're taught. So first of all, recently I've had an epiphany watching Joe Rogan and I watched one of his podcasts. I'm sorry, I don't know who the guest is. But it dawned on me that slaves were not brought here on boats. Some of them were, but then now you look in the history books, it only says about 300,000. We were farmed here already. It makes more sense to me now um, that it's cheaper to breed us here than bring cargo all the way from, you know, England or wherever, Africa. Um, You would lose (laughs) your cargo. People would get sick. If we're already here, just keep breeding us. Yeah. Um, but on top of that, they didn't let us learn how to read. They killed any African-American slave. Well, let's just say African slave that had any knowledge of past history, totally erasing people's memory of where they came from, who they were. It was... It was a plan, and, and, and now, today, nobody knows. I can't tell you where I'm from in Africa. My dad can't tell you. Grandma can't tell you because of that atrocity um, of erasing history. Now, I have uh, 
many of Caucasian friends who know that they're Irish. They know that they're from Belgium. They know that, you know, their families from Switzerland are, you know, they're Italian. I have no idea. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's something that honestly white people don't even think about. Like we, you you know, your history is essentially erased. Yeah. And it's just kind of, yeah, that's the way it is. Yeah. Um, and it's still going on through our history books today. Like, yeah, come on, bro. Did you see that thing? It's like down in Texas, kids can opt out of learning about black history. Yeah, I saw that. Like, what? They can go ahead and be their own country already. <laughs> um, they need our help right now. So, but, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it, it's crazy. So, back to one of the main reasons why I opened the gym is because we don't have that history. Um, but these black kids need to see that they can do something positive. Mm -hmm. These white kids need to see that a black man can do something positive. Yeah. Everyone needs to see that a black man can do something positive and a white woman. Especially in the suburbs. Well, you know, we're lucky to be in an area that is this diverse. Like I Mm -hmm. said, my other half, Angie, um, they don't the the closest person that looks like me is not he's spanish you know that's that's uh how it is and and, and in return it it kind of makes me have some not sympathy um but just understanding that people aren't exposed to um the things that we are exposed to which goes back to traveling traveling getting out there (laughs) going having all the experiences i agree is that something that kind of inspired Young Black Suburban too? Did you want to get out here and have a voice and give other people a platform? Yeah, you know, um, yeah, I wanted to give other people a platform, but uh, it's along the same lines as I wanted people to see that I was more than just uh, a boxer. Uh, I'm more than just uh, even a business owner that, like, I have a lot going on up here. You do. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> And you have all the thoughts, know, all the ideas, all the time. <laughs> um, and I want, um, I just, I just want it. <laughs> That's it. This is part of your legacy. Yeah, I want people to just see me and see, wow, he did it. I can do it. It's yeah. awesome. I think it's important. So I want to wrap up here with the final question, and I know you don't even like this question, but I'm still going to ask it. Yeah. All right. I'm going to ask of everyone that comes on the show. Okay. So what is your joy or your why or your purpose? Or Yeah, I know you don't like the question, what's your joy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do, so. You know, I have a lot of joys. Um, oh, and you can't say your kids because everyone's going to say their kids if they <laughs> have kids. You're not allowed to say your kids. We're going to assume your kids are yeah, your joy. they're my number one Move joy on. in my family, but... Um, my joy is being able to take the steps that I took in my life and still be standing, uh, leaving school, um, not on a whim, but on a whim, uh, pretty much putting all my chips in one basket with boxing, uh, and that not really, uh, ending up the way that I wanted to. And then, uh, to be able to still um, survive through all, everything and be somewhat what successful. I was I gonna say survive. You're thriving. Look, <laughs> I, look at this. <laughs> I guess I, I I don't like to say that because I have destination disorder. Like I'm <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm not where I want to be yet either. Yeah, um, but you're so, still you're doing more than surviving. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we got a long way to go. Um, mm-hmm. But you know. This is the beginning of the Young Suburban franchise. Yes. Uh, and, um, it's an honor for me to pass the torch on. Uh, we're going to be burning at the same time. Yeah. Um, probably bouncing a lot of stuff off each other. and uh, Co-casting. Co-casting. I'm just With happy. Jordan, our great yeah. producer. Yeah, definitely. Damn, I Soon to be my best friend. Crack my knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I'm doing it. All right, let's wrap up here then. Yeah. All right, so, cheers. Wait, you got, well, all right, what are you going to say to uh, close out? This is- Thanks for joining us. Um, 
be good to each other and join us on the next Young Ball Suburban. And thanks, Tim Witherspoon, Jr. <laughs>